Hello and welcome to the 88th episode. Do you believe that? 88th episode of the Driving You Crazy podcast. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News in Denver, Colorado, Jason Luber. I am our very own pedestrian advocate, Joseph Peters, 88 man, the old Eric Lindros, double snowman. Uh, Can't believe it. Ed McCaffrey, I think he was 88 as well, wasn't he? Uh, sure. Okay, I, I'm going to go with that too, because I, I can't quite remember. But 88 is quite impressive. Yes. And we're on to 188, 1,088. 1,088. Sure, why not? That's several years of podcast. <laughs> well, we have a big show planned today. We're going to talk to one of our Denver 7 reporters, Thomas Hoppo, who has been begging to come onto the podcast. He says he wants to get some stuff off his chest. I really just think he wants to talk about his hatred of roundabouts. And honestly, what it comes down to... His uh, girlfriend wanted him to be on the podcast so he would basically shut up and, and stop talking to her and ranting to her about all these issues that he has. And, and she wants to give him an outlet. Uh, uh, in, in other words, you and me, we are the outlet. I thought he liked roundabouts. He loves them. Did I say he hates them? You did. All right, well, I don't know. There's only one person in this room who hates roundabouts. That's you. That's me. Well, we'll figure it out anyway when we get Thomas... In just a little bit. Anyway, if you thought government waste was a problem before this story, then you're really going to think government needs to move into the digital age. I say this because there was recently a flight that was delayed because of 1,400 pounds of federal paperwork. It was an American Airlines flight to Los Angeles. Yeah, a passenger flight could not take off because it was too heavy, too laden down with government paperwork. That sounds like a perfect metaphor for the rest of government, to be honest with you. <laughs> the pilot announced to the passengers, because it's a commercial flight, he tells all the passengers, uh, maybe I should do it this way. Uh, people, we, uh, we have to unload 1,400 pounds of federal paperwork because uh, we can't take off yet. Something like that. I mean, that's like six extra people, right? Uh, it depends on the people. <laughs> Are you flying out of Florida? I mean, I guess that's the question. Why'd you have to bury Florida like that? Well, you know, if the shoe fits. True. Uh, there are many conspiracies uh, and conspiracy theories around Area 51. What do you think about Area 51? I think it's real. I do, too. The truth is out there. It is. I myself have driven around Area 51. I've actually had lunch in Rachel, Nevada, the closest place you can get to legally to Area 51. I had lunch at the Little Alien. Yeah, it's it's got alien stuff all over it. They are making a fortune off this Area 51 stuff, aren't they? You're not kidding. And, wow. and this is the same trip where I was driving out there and there was a cow in the middle of the road. And I had to actually get out of the car and try to coax the, car, or coax the cow or at least try to convince him somehow. I think it was actually a her. If it was a him, I think I would have stayed in the car and convince her to get off the road so I could m- keep on motoring. Keep on moving. Down around Area 51. Okay. Exactly right. Well, anyway, I bring, I bring all of this up because if you ever really want to get to Area 51, I have, the, I have the perfect legal opportunity for you to do that without getting shot by going over the gates. Um, like General Jameson from... Uh, <laughs> let's do that at the Phil Hendry Show. Uh, anyway, so there's these little unnamed white... 737s. Have you seen them over at the Las Vegas airport? Uh, no, I have not. So they have these little uh, red lines. I guess it's not little. It's a big red line right down the center of the plane. So it's basically just white with this red line down the center with no other real markings on the plane. It's called Janet Airlines. 
And it's a top-secret U.S. Air Force contractor that shuttles workers to sensitive government installations like Area 51. That's what they do. That's all they do. So they have a private little terminal where you park behind a fence that's covered uh, on the outside of the fence. Mm -hmm. And you walk into this one terminal area off of the main airport. And then you get into one of these uh, unmarked planes. Well, I guess the planes with the red stripe down the side. And they fly you to Area 51. Now, Janet allegedly stands for Joint Air Network for Employee Transportation. Oh, that's vague enough for nobody to understand what it really means. But the government will not confirm that. Oh. I mentioned all this top-secret airline stuff because they're looking for a pilot. Janet needs a pilot. Janet needs a pilot. They're also, well, at least they were looking for a flight attendant as well, but I think they've already filled that job. But the pilot job is still open. But because of the sensitive nature of this work... It won't be just a standard interview. It's not going to be like, hi, what, what, can you fly a plane? Minimum requirements for the job include, obviously, extensive knowledge of FAA regulations, lots of flying time, a willingness to live in Las Vegas. That's not, that's not too tough. You also need a top-secret top secret clearance for this pilot job. Securing one will require an extensive background check, including looking into your ally, uh, allegiance to the United States. So you might have to say the pledge. Uh, really? Probably. I think you might have to do more than just say the pledge. Uh, well, I think that would just be for starters. Uh-huh. Uh, you also will be looked at for your foreign influence and preference, your sexual behavior, your personal conduct, your financial health, alcohol and drug consumption, emotional, mental, and personal disorders, and also all of your outside activities. So basically, you just have to be a good, clean-cut person to get this job. Pretty much, you might have to be Mormon to get this job. I, frankly, feel like more companies should adopt these stringent policies. We're just hiring the best people. <laughs> like, literally, the best people. When I worked at um, the radio stations, we were originally owned by, when I started working for them, it was J-Core Broadcasting. And uh, then Clear Channel Communications came in and bought us. And there was a, uh, everybody was all freaked out because Clear Channel had the possible drug test deal. So w- new hires had to get a drug test, and there could be random drug tests. And the old joke was, everybody on the FM floor is going to be fired because they're going to do a random drug ch- test. And this was before they were allowing pot to be sold legally here mm-hmm. in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, you know. So that, that is not a place where they were hiring the best people. No, maybe the best DJs. Uh-huh. But they also are artists. Uh. And they tend to imbibe in the, in the stuff. Uh, Janet Air has a fleet of six Boeing 737s, as well as a couple of twin-turbo prop planes. And people who have leaked info about the flight say it's a lot like Southwest Airlines without any windows. Could you imagine that, flying without any windows? No, that sounds horrible. What is the flight attendant position like? Well, the, the thing is, they say that they don't serve any drinks or snacks except for bottled water. So I think the flight attendant really is just maybe to pass out water and or most likely to help out if there's a mer- emergency evacuation of the airplane. The flight attendant's probably like just a bouncer, right? Like they're probably armed too on a flight like this uh, to make maybe. sure if anything gets out of line. No TVs either on there. That's too no bad. Wi-Fi, anything like that. That'd be pretty tough to me to to to, to fly in an aircraft with no win- no windows. Cuz I don't like those 3D. I you know, I, we we did that 3D uh Pandora thing over there at the uh, Disney World. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was horrible. It's I very don't, claustrophobic. I don't, yeah. I don't do good with that. And and 
because they have that big screen and and everything's moving except for me, and I just don't like it. Mm -hmm. No, sir, I don't like it. So there you go. Uh, We've talked a lot about dockless scooters. They're all the rage in towns like ours. Um, They're all over Southern California. They're uh, all over here now. And you were telling me a story. How about you tried one out? Yeah, it wasn't fun. So I want want your report now on the driverless scooter and and how, how the experience was for you. So I guess you would have to call this driverless scooter for somebody who's completely clueless, right? Because we've covered them. But in terms of the actual mechanics of it, I just did not understand when I approached the scooter for the first time. So where did you find the scooter? You can find them everywhere. But I, think I mean, this, my, this mine particular, in particular, this was a block away from the Denver Public Library. And was it just laying on the sidewalk? Was it parked somewhere? It's parked. I mean, I, I think it's very rare to find them like lying down, right? Because they have the kickstand. And I th- you'd be surprised at how much the, these riders become experts very quickly. Um, but so my experience, I unlocked it and I, I did what they say, three pushes and it goes, not realizing that like there is an actual throttle that you need to push down on to get the electricity. So it's a pull or a, or a push? It's a push. It's a, it's on the right side. You put, you put your thumb on it, you push it down, you apply pressure and the thing goes. Uh, I didn't know that. So I pushed three times and I stood up and the scooter stopped (laughs) and I stopped (laughs) <laughs> and did, did jumped off. I, I, I didn't fall down, but there were plenty of, like, jump off the scooter and land on my two feet so I don't fall over because if I stay on the scooter, we're both going down. <laughs> oh, so was this you and Tanya? No, it was just, just me. Okay. Just me. Just me by myself. All right. Uh, once I figured out the throttle, that thing is fun, man. But I think that there's, like, an art form to the thumb, how much pressure you apply, right? It's like the old big toe rule yeah. on the on the gas pedal. Like, you want to apply just as much pressure as you can with your big toe. You're not going with your whole foot because it's a really delicate machine. And so this is the exact same thing, only it's with your thumb. And the difference between, like, a casual ride and booming down the neighborhood is not very large at all so when i tried to apply pressure i could not figure out the intricacies of it and i was just going as fast as possible like a speeding bullet in one direction and again jumping off the thing panicked like pulling my hand off the throttle to stop myself so that i would not crash again did not fall over at all uh did nearly crash into a wall in front of a couple of homeless people who looked at me and I looked at them and I said, no, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and Denver is, is for the most part flat, but there are some hills and there are, there's a pretty good hill over here on the east side of, of downtown. So were you worried at all about getting going on one of these hills and then trying to stop? Because it doesn't really have brakes, correct? Or how, how, do you stop the, how do you stop it if you're going down a hill? Here's what I was worried about. I very much wanted to go like 12 miles an hour, right? That sounded great. But I could not keep that thing going in a straight line at 12 miles an hour to save my life. So you're, cur- you're, you're just weaving or what? It was a lot of weaving, right? And, and if you start leaning too far in one direction, you're going to go in that direction. And so, Like surfing or, or skateboarding kind of thing? Right, exactly. Right. And so instead of going in a straight line, I was going in like diagonal straight into a wall and reset. <laughs> and diagonal straight into a wall and reset. <laughs> and... And so, so you were like say like sailing. You were say you were crabbing right. with the wind. So like I'm not I'm not I think that there's a very steep learning curve, but also like not a very steep learning curve, if that makes sense. Like it's not a long learning curve. You get it in an hour or so. But uh to get it, you were going to have some stops and starts, literally. And I think that's okay. Uh but I'm not there yet. Did you so 
did you have to download the app? Did you stand there in front of the scooter downloading an app of some sort and putting in your credit card and doing all that stuff? Yep, and, all those things. That's and how much did it cost? And how much did it cost? So it's a dollar to unlock, and then I think it's fifteen cents for every minute after five minutes. So for me, it was a dollar seventy. And that was like probably a good 10 minutes. And, and so I was trying to get from Broadway to my gym, the Colorado Athletic Club, like a mile and a quarter, right? Yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> I easily could have gotten there in 10 minutes had I known how to ride the scooter. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You, you yeah, took I, a scooter. You rode a scooter to the gym. Yep. Where you then <laughs> presumably got on the treadmill. Well, so usually like <laughs> – Typically, I would jog to the gym, but on this day, I was yeah. in a rush. I was trying to get to the pool, man. The pool closes at 8.30. Oh, I get okay. off at 7. I wanted right, to okay. hit the scooter. That's all. That's well, it. I get it. Hey, look. If you need to get the scooter to go to swimming, all right, that's all right. Yeah, it's a big difference. If I was really, like, <laughs> I agree with you. The, the typical American jogging to go jogging <laughs> or driving to go jogging yes. is one of my favorite stereotypes. <laughs> I do not fit into that. So, it, so let's rate this from a, uh, you know, I, I always do this with my girls. Because they uh, always look, to, they like to see how many uh, tomatoes a movie gets from Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, and so how many tomatoes, Rotten Tomatoes, would you give uh, your writing experience? I, I don't understand this ranking system. If it's five from one, tomatoes, from, is it from good? zero to one hundred. Oh. 100 is great. A zero is terrible. So my experience was a seventy-five, but I think the idea of riding the scooter to everywhere I need to go in the city gets a one hundred. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I should have done this way. A hundred is the Blues Brothers, and zero is Waterworld. Uh, I've only seen Waterworld of those two movies, and this was the opposite of Waterworld. How about Good, Bad, and the Ugly, or um, The Shack and uh, the Space Jam? <laughs> How dare you insinuate Shaq was in Space Jam? <laughs> well, I think it, it was, was Michael, Michael Jordan. Jordan. There you go. <laughs> he was in something, wasn't he? Kazam. Maybe a dog. Oh, Kazam. There you go. We've gone off the rails. Okay, <laughs> we certainly have. All right, so our friend David Sachs from uh, Denver Street Blog, he's at it again, Joseph. He is tweeting about <laughs> things he shouldn't tweet about. And it's all over a very sad situation where a woman in Aurora was killed crossing the street. Now, let's start with the information first, because we like to start with information in the news business, don't we? There was a woman crossing the street. She was outside the crosswalk, and she was hit and killed by a car, by a driver going uh, down the road. So the Denver Post wrote a story about this uh, pedestrian being killed. And David then retweeted that article that the Denver Post tweeted out. And added this comment, if the investigation is ongoing and police are looking for witnesses, why is the victim being blamed publicly? Who says she was outside of the crosswalk? The driver who killed her? So many unanswered questions. But the victim being at fault is rarely one of them. Hmm. And then when he posted his Streets Blogs headline, which is just basically a collection of stories written by other people and posted to his blog, he wrote, Den, uh, driver kills person walking in Aurora, police blame victim. So does the Denver Post. Yep, exactly right, David. The newspaper is blaming the pedestrian because that is what they do over there at the Denver Post. Those seasoned journalists at the newspaper, they're in the habit of posting stories with blame and not attributing that information to an official agency of any sort. Similar to, let's say, the Aurora Police Department. Yep, the Post is all an ongoing assassination of claims in their news story. 
what's what's irritating to me about this, not so much like the dispute because sure, like police might not have done all their research and whatnot, whatever, whatever. That's, that's a different discussion. Uh, the assault, the, the brother on brother assault in the media for one media outlet to say that another is doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Why are we doing that? What, what, what are we hoping to accomplish from that? Cause it seems like this guy's only goal is to tear down the establishment but for what? What bicycle? Because he believes in his heart that any article, whether it's from us, it's from any of the TV stations, radio, newspaper, anything, he believes that his information is correct and every, er, every other news reporter is actually being biased and putting out fake news in his view to this situation about pedestrians and automobile deaths. That's basically what it comes down to. And I could tell you for certain... The woman was outside of the uh, outside of the crosswalk. How do I know that, David? There is a picture that was sent right to our newsroom here from someone who was at the scene that showed the woman who was hit. She was still lying in the street. That's what the picture showed. She was lying in the street, and she was clearly outside of the sidewalk. I looked at Google Earth, the Google Earth view and the street view, and confirmed that the woman was walking from the east side of Peoria, at the bus stop there, over to the west side, from the bus stop to the Burger King, when she was hit. And that is how I know, that is how police, who are doing the investigation, know that she was outside the side of the crosswalk. And yes, the driver who hit the pedestrian knows that too, because that driver was not watching for a pedestrian inside the crosswalk, hit the pedestrian well outside the crosswalk. It is so dismissive when he says, so many unanswered questions. And when he says, who says she was outside the crosswalk? Uh, she did. She did. Actually, the pedestrian, she said she was outside the crosswalk because she was laying in the street outside of the crosswalk. She was 200 feet away from the crosswalk at 6th Avenue. And the pictures prove that to be the case. Now, Look, I don't mean to, to, to sound dismissive. I don't mean to sound callous here, uh, flippant in any way. Because I'm not, but the fact is that this woman ran from the bus stop towards the Burger King and was hit. She just didn't want to take the time to walk down to the crosswalk, wait for the light, cross in a safer spot where she where she did not cross, and then walk back up to the Burger King. I mean, we're talking about 400 feet or so in total, walking a bit more than a football field, going from the bus stop to the traffic light, cross the crosswalk, back up to the Burger King. That's a huge pain in the butt. Yes, it's inconvenient. And there should be more ways for pedestrians to get across the street safely in that situation. There was a safe way. However, she did not want to take the extra steps needed to take that safer route. That was a her decision, nobody else's. That's, I, I, and that's, that's the only way. But David will never, ever, uh, ever uh, concede that point ever. Mm-hmm. And then there is this that comes directly from the Aurora Police Department, who was investigating this crash. On August 7th, at approximately 12.13 p.m., officers with the Aurora Police Department responded to an automobile versus pedestrian accident near the intersection of Peoria Street and East 6th Avenue. Upon arrival, officers found an unconscious adult female suffering from serious injuries in the roadway. She was immediately transported to a local hospital where she succumbed to her injuries. 
The driver of the vehicle that struck the female stayed on scene and is cooperating with the ongoing investigation. It appears at this time that the female was crossing mid-block and was not in a crosswalk when she was struck. Alcohol and speed do not appear to be a factor in this accident. Pedestrians are reminded to utilize crosswalks in the designed fashion, and motorists are asked to be cognizant that pedestrians may not always do so. This is an incident that remains an open and an ongoing investigation, and, may wit- and any witnesses who have not spoken to the police are asked to contact Aurora Police. And this is the note that was sent to the newsroom with the attached picture of the woman who was hit that was left in the road. Below is a photo of a woman who got hit for jaywalking. This was by 6th and Peoria. There's a Burger King there, and across the street there is an RTD bus stop, and everyone will cross the busy place and jaywalks, and the city doesn't do anything about it, and uh, people get hit there. I think someone needs to look into this area and see why the city hasn't done anything. Thanks, Mason. Now, maybe that is the next step. Maybe that's the next step, that the Aurora City, city Council takes a look at this area or the Public Works Department there in Aurora, and maybe paint or puts up a pedestrian crossing signal right there. Now, I, I have a feeling they wouldn't do that because it is so close to another traffic signal, just a couple hundred feet away from a traffic signal that's already in place at 6th and Peoria. So here's, here, here's, here's how I approach this, right? Pedestrian advocate talking now. There's a certain amount of walker's discretion in a situation like this, right? That is, if that is a place where where people are commonly crossing the street outside of a crosswalk, this was likely not the first time that somebody's done this in front of this driver at this intersection. Well, obviously, that person said he sees it all the time. Or, or even, frankly, the first time that this particular woman right. has crossed the street in this way at this intersection. And so... To me, it's a matter of judging where the cars are and knowing that you're not going to get hit, and that's when you go, right? And so that's what's so confusing to me about this particular accident is why she would cross in front of a vehicle that was clearly about to hit her. So where did the car come from Maybe she so didn't rapidly? See it. Maybe she didn't see it. Maybe there was a truck blocking her view. And so, and that's, I guess that's the point that I want to make is that it, it, it's so easy to say don't jaywalk. And for people who walk all the time, you know, sometimes you just cross the street when there's nobody coming. Well, yeah, but you, you, you know what I mean? Like that, th- sometimes again, that's what you do. But, yes, and if you do that, then it's your responsibility and it's fully on you if you get hit. Right? Or no? I guess there's no other way to, to approach it, right? I appreciate Aurora Police saying to be cognizant that pedestrians might not use the crosswalk. Uh I don't know what else you can do. I If I go skiing through the trees, it's not the tree's fault when I hit it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there, there are designated areas for me to ski safely, these wide-open, groomed runs where there are no trees. It's true. And if I want to get a little bit more risky, i.e. run across the street where there's no stop sign or crosswalk or that sort of thing, then I... Take that risk in my own hand. Everything is a risk, calculated risk. Risk versus reward. The reward is that you're crossing the street and you're saving yourself the time and the walking distance of about 400 feet for this woman's case. The risk was you could get hit and either hurt seriously or killed. She took the risk, and unfortunately, she paid with her life. I don't like it either. But it, this is it goes back to David's point where he is still... Not he can never blame a pedestrian for doing something wrong. 
It's always the driver's fault, no matter what. If somebody was walking down the middle of I-25, you would still blame all the drivers on the interstate because the interstate system shouldn't be in place because everybody should be walking from place to place and live in high-density cities. That's... I, I wouldn't doubt it. That's kind of true, yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, I don't know what more proof he would need. Uh, I, I so badly wanted to respond back to him on Twitter but I, I with, with that picture and, and uh. explain to him, but I knew where that was going to get me. I just, I just knew it. I just knew what happens when I pick a fight with him. He's a total pedestrian zealot, and there was just no way around it. So, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know what else to so I just ignored it. I mean, honestly, who, who says she was outside of the crosswalk? If you look at the evidence, David, she did. That's what it comes down to. She did. The poor woman who was killed, she, she's the one who said so because of where she landed. And, and by the police conducting the investigation and by the picture that I saw and all of the information that was coming through the investigation. And you could see the crosswalk was just down the road and the bus stop and the Burger King and all of, all of those factors. But, but when, he, when you act like he does in a situation like this, then you have to discount everything else he says. You can't take anything else he says seriously, can you? Well, I mean, in the squabble between him and the Denver Post, there's only one person who's lacking credibility. <laughs> Good point. Coming up, why the flip-flop might be the most dangerous thing to drive with on your feet. Ain't that the truth? Yes. Don't drive with a flip-flop. That is the Driving You Crazy podcast. Continue. But this place is I'm Mitch Jeldicker, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber. The hardest thing about getting up is the fact that most of us have only slept about four hours, maybe, uh, the night before. So on any given morning, you know, you just never know what could possibly come out of our mouths in the morning. Uh, what's going to happen? That's why you got to watch. Um, it, we're tired, um, <laughs> but we're up and ready to go, and uh, we like to help you get up as well. Nicole Brady, only on Denver 7. One of the hardest things that it's taken for me to get adapted to, because this is my first overnight shift, is uh, the cold. So I wear long johns every day and boots, and everybody makes fun of me because I look like I'm geared up for snowboarding, but in reality, I'm just really cold all the time. Um, And it does add a little bit of challenges just in terms of trying to reach out to people to to talk to. Uh, But the thing that I love about it is that I'm doing something different every day. I'm learning a different uh, fact every day. I'm never doing the same thing. I'm never bored with my job and the stress that comes with it is a fun type of stress because uh, you feel anxious and and crazy when you're trying to get the story done and then as soon as it hits the air everything goes smoothly and you breathe and realize that you put on a good product you did the best that you could and figure out how you can do it better the next day. Megan Lopez only on Denver 7. Welcome back to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast, where we don't encourage anyone to jump off a cruise ship. That's true, but we do encourage you to like us on Facebook, uh, rate and review our <laughs> podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. Because this is a great uh, show if you want to download them onto your device and then take them onto a cruise ship and then listen to them back later. It really is a great way to do it. While you're sitting there enjoying your boat drink, 
uh, and 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 enjoying the pool. Yacht rock. Yacht rock, exactly. Uh, did you see the story about that British woman who was rescued after spending ten hours in the Adriatic Sea? No, Jason, I didn't. She was <laughs> she was about sixty miles off the coast of Croatia after she quote unquote fell from the Norwegian Star cruise ship. And not only is that a remarkable story that she was actually rescued after spending ten hours in the ocean, but the story gets better is the mother of the Norwegian cruise line CEO Andy Stewart. He uh, the woman she the, the so the mom of the of the CEO. She called the woman stupid and said she didn't fall off the ship. She jumped off the ship. The mom said she didn't fall off. She jumped. This has cost Norwegian Cruise Lines $600,000, this stupid woman. (laughs) That's a quote from the mom of the CEO. After the woman was rescued, she told the Croatian News Service that she was lucky to be alive. She said she credited her survival to yoga and singing. She is the worst. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's just awful. Singing to kept the uh, sharks away. Now, the captain of the ship said they looked at the security footage. They said the woman was by herself. She wasn't pushed. And the leading theory by the crew was that she had to have jumped. She said she just didn't fall accidentally, that she actually jumped off the ship. She was with a guy on the cruise, uh, boyfriend, I guess, and they had an argument. She wasn't with uh, him at the time when she went overboard. And that is why I say here on the Driving You Crazy podcast, we don't encourage people to jump off or accidentally fall off a cruise ship. But I do encourage more cruise and sailing news as much as possible. I Come on, man. Like, really? You jump, You allegedly jump off a boat, and then you, you magically get rescued after 10 hours because, of course, you did because it's a cruise ship, and it's going to cost them a lot more bad head, like yeah. bad press if you don't survive. And then you say to the press, mm, it was all that yoga, and I was singing to myself. Like... Are we trying to go viral? <laughs> Does she think that she's the next Catch Me Outside girl? Maybe. Like yoga yes. yoga and singing survivalist? I don't know, man. That still isn't the way I would want to go, falling off a cruise ship. If, if you've ever been on a cruise and you go out in the middle of the ocean and and you imagine what it would be like to see the ship sail away, oof, that's not a good way to go, my no, friends. No. Not a good way. Uh, officer, my flip-flop got stuck in the pedal. This is a real thing. This is so real. How often do you drive in flip-flops? All the time. It's dangerous, man. It's a dangerous decision. That is the reason one woman said that her uh, car sped out of control. I, I've, I've had similar experiences with flip-flops, but never quite that bad where they got stuck under the pedals. Similar, but not quite the same. Now, police say the 67-year-old woman in Cohasset, Massachusetts, is that right? Sure. Cohasset? Close enough. Uh, anyway, uh, it's, a t- it's south of Boston. Anyway, right there. Uh, she was driving her 2016 Honda Pilot. Her flip-flop became entangled in the pedals, and so she lost control of the car. Naturally, the car sped out of control, drove up onto two other cars, with each of the front wheels resting on top of one vehicle. Luckily, nobody was hurt. She was sighted with negligent operation of a motor vehicle. I had a very similar situation like this happen once at a Six Flags in New Jersey. I was there with three generations of my family, and my grandmother was in a motorized scooter, and the motorized scooter's throttle got stuck, and my grandmother was just going in a straight line. This little rocket 
on a 150-pound motorized scooter, <laughs> speeding uncontrollably towards crowds of people. It took 10 burly men to grab this scooter and physically prevent it from moving, even though the wheels were still spinning because the <laughs> throttle on it was stuck. It was the most incredible and potentially like dangerous experience of my life. I think if it had happened today, my grandmother may no longer be with us. That's why Nana loves the scooter. Because she can, she's got the need for speed. She is the most dangerous person <laughs> at any family gathering. She could, yes, exactly right. You know, there's really no law against driving barefoot or even in flip flops. There should be. There should be, but there's not. Driving barefoot has been discouraged for years, but there's really no actual laws that I could find. Um, Why is I, it discouraged, though? I feel like driving barefoot, like you get more in touch with the pedals. Well, that's. I don't like the way the pedals feel on my bare feet. However, if there's a problem, they want you to wear shoes because then you have to get out and you're going to be on a roadway with a lot of rocks and or maybe hot asphalt or you know there could be broken glass, whatever the case may be. And so they want you to have some kind of footwear so you're not cutting your feet and you're walking around barefoot. So it has nothing to do with the shoes, the barefoot's ability to push the pedals. It's about what happens next. Yes. Well, it could be, but I, 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 it's harder for me to use my bare feet on the gas pedal than it is on the brake. Because ah. the brake is so much bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, there's all kinds of, there, were, there were all kinds of crashes, apparently. I was reading stories about people who got in crashes because of bare feet. You know, they do actually make you wear shoes on, well, at least some states do, wear shoes if you're riding a motorcycle. That, that makes sense, I think. I used to occasionally ride my motorcycle without shoes, but um, that's when I was in Statesboro. And I was in college, and I was stupid. And you didn't wear a helmet, and you had long flowing I did hair. have to wear a helmet because we were in Georgia, but then we would ride to South Carolina where you didn't have to ride the helmet, like through Hilton Head, where then you could ride barefoot and no helmet and be stupid. But, hey, there you go. Did you have a cowboy hat and a goatee, too? <laughs> no, I wasn't that redneck. Okay. Here on the podcast, we like to talk to people in the newsroom, like we've talked to extensively to uh, Nicole Brady. We are a popular place for people to vent their frustrations. Yes, and a lot of people have taken us up on that offer. And and we like we do like to encourage that activity. And so we've invited other people from the newsroom to come join us here in the little Driving You Crazy podcast studio here, Shoebox, the Shoebox Studio. And today we have our intrepid reporter. His name is Thomas Hoppo, and he <laughs> is out there and about there. He drives a lot. I and, do. And, and, and Thomas, you, you've been chomping at the – actually, I think what happened here is your girlfriend, who works on the morning show, Megan. Yes. So Megan has come to me and said, well, you, you have backseat road rage. So, so tell us about what you experience and how you <laughs> deal with driving as you're out there and about there. I would I wouldn't necessarily call it backseat road rage, okay? I would I'd call it more of road commentary. And so <laughs> Okay. It's very negative commentary at that. But yeah, I have a lot of problems with drivers in my area. A lot of problems with what they do. And she hates when I drive because of that. When's the last time you got this backseat commentary going? What did you say about the most recent person who make, made you angry? Oh, they're an idiot. That's that's uh, that's the biggest word that comes to mind, and I just get, I I say a lot of words that I probably shouldn't say, but yeah, I, for the most part, idiots, and I and I get very very frustrated with a lot of drivers on some of the things they do, uh, coming from a place where driving it, drivers are good drivers from Alaska, so I don't 
I don't I don't understand what they're doing on the roads. Wait, wait. So you came here from Alaska? Yes. Where in Alaska? Fairbanks, Alaska, where the highest speed limit is 55 miles per hour. <laughs> and is that where you grew up? That's where I grew up, yeah. yeah. And now you're here. Obviously, there's a lot more traffic here. And a lot more idiots, apparently. Apparently so. Yes. So why is it idiot is the name of choice uh, for these people and not some other, like, screwball or... Jack wagon or something else? Uh, because it's probably the word that doesn't make my girlfriend the most mad. Ah, <laughs> so. okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, what what situations do you find yourself calling people idiot most often? Is roundabouts. It- All right, describe what you hate about the roundabout. I personally, I like the roundabout. I think roundabouts are great, but I like roundabouts. I think they're great too. I don't like the people on the roundabouts. And one of the one of the main things is stop. If I have to stop. In a roundabout. I'm not supposed to stop. I'm not supposed to step on my brakes and come to a complete stop in a roundabout. And if I'm doing that a lot, I'm talking to you, Lone Tree. Man, you are doing something wrong. Well, you will have to stop when you come up to the roundabout occasionally if there's already a driver in the roundabout. Right. But if I'm in the roundabout stopping where I'm going in the circle and I'm stopping because somebody's coming in and not yielding, you're doing something wrong. Listen. You guys are both being way too easy on the roundabout. The roundabout is one of the worst things that traffic. Oh, no, 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 no the roundabout invented. makes everything flow. No, it does not. The roundabout causes confusion. When's the last time you got into a roundabout and you said, I understand what every single exit in this roundabout means? Every time I every use my time. signal in the roundabout. You're supposed to use your signal in the roundabout. You're supposed to signal when you're exiting out of the roundabout. See, what the roundabout does is it keeps the traffic flowing because you are not, for the most part, breaking the gap, especially if there's not a lot of traffic in the roundabout. You keep the gap. Now, at lights, either a stop sign or a stop light, it stops the traffic. It breaks the gap. I don't know if you've heard of George Washington, but he invented the traffic light, and it was a really simple thing. Some people wait, stop, wait, wait, other wait. people go. Those people stop, the rest George of George Washington? Go. I didn't think he had electricity back then. Okay, first off, let's. Uh, if you want a traffic light. <laughs> did he? If you did he, did he have a little light on the front of that boat that he was going across in the Delaware? Hey, fellas, let's start up the engines. No, let's not. He had, let's he had, he had, across he had the green Delaware. candles, red candles. And yellow candles. Yeah, that's it's the a way different it was. George Wash. Oh, okay, I got you. <laughs> uh, first off, if the roundabouts are they, they're they're great on multiple reasons. One reason is what Jason said doesn't break the gap. Second is I'm going to go green here. It's more environmentally friendly than a traffic light and electricity. Joseph shaking his head. Take that hippie nonsense out. Of <laughs> that's here, not even. That's all I'm saying. Nonsense. Roundabouts are for hippies, and I'm the hippie in the room, and I'm saying roundabouts are. A bad roundabouts thing. are, dude. Here's the thing. Roundabouts are here, whether you like it or not. So roundabouts are here. So you have to learn to navigate on a roundabout and you have to use your signal and you have to yield when somebody's coming around the roundabout. I hate those guys who like think that they can beat me on the roundabout like I'm like I'm a train and they come in. And then if I have to step on my brake because you're coming in, you're doing something wrong. So you uh, being a reporter, you're out on the street. You're supposed to be out on the street, not really supposed to be in the newsroom that often. Right. You're supposed to be out there right. gathering the information, talking to the people. Yes. There are people out there that yes. you have to talk to, and you have to drive to talk to them. So how over the past couple of months, weeks, years, however long you've been here, have you seen traffic patterns change? What are some of the worst areas that you've seen? What are some of the challenges that you face while you're out there? Um, like in Colorado, in Denver? Well, no, no. I'm talking about Boise, Idaho. Yes, of course, Denver, Colorado. <laughs> okay. Seriously. Right. Where do you work? Well, they, I, honestly, that's you okay. Work you're here, you're asking or are you me. Just doing 
this for just for fun. You're asking me where are the worst spots. Yeah, and here, everything. where and you work, where you're going out. Denver. Do you not listen to the question. Just, just Colorado, Denver in general. The whole place is bad. All That's right. why I was wondering where you're asking me because the whole place is bad. Everybody knows. Where Everybody, is good? Good? Nowhere. Pueblo, maybe. <laughs> where there's like not a lot of people there. Pueblo. Even there is bad. Like okay. it's it's bad everywhere, and the reason why is because Colorado is a central where every transplants, all the worst drivers from every state is coming here, and that's so. Why were it's you so the bad. worst driver in Alaska? No, oh, no, okay. I have not been in a car accident. <laughs> okay, do you think we're getting the best and the brightest? Because I think you're no. implying that we're transplanting idiots into Colorado. Yes, I am here as well. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and us, but. yes, and no, it's 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 just a bunch of bad drivers in one area. Um, and I'm looking at New Mexico and Texas for sure. I uh, I wanted to first start this round of questions by saying that you are a pristine driver and you always do the safe thing. Yes. Having said that. You're an MMJ. Mm-hmm. You're a professional. I know Which how means you guys multimedia are. journalist if, you know, you're not on the TV right. biz. I'm a one-man band. So you shoot video, you edit video, you do all your own reporting, and oftentimes you go out to work by yourself. So my questions start with how often do you see people in a similar position on the phone with a source when they're driving? All the time. How about texting with a source while they're driving? A lot of times. Now, how many times have you edited your piece for the 6 p.m. news while driving? Never. Have you seen other MMJs do this? Mm, I have not seen it. I have heard. I have heard. Do you believe there it. are people out there who can edit and drive? No. Nobody can do anything and drive. I think they th- if they think they can, no. You just got to drive. What is the worst thing you've seen somebody driving you to a shoot do? Or the most dangerous thing where you said, maybe I should think twice before working with this person again? Uh, texting and driving while navigating while also on a phone call at the same time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, screw my life, right? <laughs> like, when they're doing that, I'm like, why don't you let me handle the phone call? Um, and that was in my last market, so. The, the rare double call, text, and drive. It was, it was scary. Interesting. Yes. Where was this line of questioning going? Are you, are you talking specifically about another station or somebody else maybe that's just, in the I'm saying in general, <laughs> I, have heard, I have heard one photographer, and I can't even remember what mark it is, bragging about how he had figured out a way to set his laptop on his lap while driving oh my so God. that he could drop video in for stories while he was on the road coming back to the station to and, cut down his time uh, so he would be able to get out on time. And this is why I work by myself. And this is, but, but you know, uh, uh, full disclosure, when I I was doing radio, I had my, I could broadcast the broadcast unit in the truck and I could drive and talk at the same time as I'm doing my reports while driving down the road. But I also had a, this was in the early, this was before the cell phones with the, right. with the Wi-Fi and all that stuff. We actually had this wireless card that you could dial up into this uh, really rudimentary Wi-Fi network. And so I could get internet from the road from my laptop. So I had a laptop on the middle as I'm driving, talking to the radio and dudes in the two-way at the same time. Doing radio reports. That sounded safe. That did not sound safe at all. I actually <laughs> very concerned about the safety of our radio reporters. Yeah, that was that was, that was in the that was in the good old days, you know, after oh. the helicopter. Because I get out of the helicopter, jump in the truck, and then off you go. So you know, you had to do it some way. Well, anyway, Thomas, thanks for joining us here on the uh, Driving You Crazy podcast. We appreciate your time, your efforts, all your great news reporting. Um, some of the stories are sad, some are are, are happy, but uh, we appreciate what you do and. Thanks for joining us on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
There are so many other people, though, in the newsroom who are interested in joining us here on the podcast. So we'll I guess we'll see. have to see who wants to come in next. The rotating cast of characters entering the shoebox. You know, it's funny because Megan keeps, uh, I keep seeing her in the back corner uh, over here in the window wanting begging to come in here now after Thomas. I think she wants to track something, actually do some actual work, unlike Thomas, her boyfriend. Or us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know who won't be joining us anytime soon. Teresa Marchetta. <laughs> she, <laughs> she was the anchor of many newscasts here. She was an investigative reporter, most recently the host of the 4 p.m. newscast, but yesterday was her last day. I mean, I'm not supposed to say that. Yesterday was her last day. She's not. People are going to tune in and not see her go, where's Teresa Marchetta? Well, she's not here. She doesn't work here anymore. I don't know if you're supposed to say that. Well, I just did. Um, I guess all I saw was an email that she took a job with some other company outside of TV, and bam, she's gone. Breaking so, news on the old Driving You Crazy podcast. It's... Uh, yeah, it was a delight to work with her for all those years. That's true. Uh, the first time I met Teresa was at the IHOP in Highlands Ranch, right after I was hired here. Saw her at the IHOP, and she's welcomed me to the team, and then um, started working here 12 years ago. There you go. Kind of crazy. Delicious pancakes. All right, that's about wraps up this episode of the podcast, so I thank you again for listening and being part of this whole mess. Uh, until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. And I'm pumpkin spice latte and pancake enthusiast, Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.